Welcome back to the Granite Zero podcast. Before we kick off this podcast, I'd like to do a quick shout out to Ico Energy Drinks. Now, if like me, you kind of have an addiction to energy drinks. But you're sick of that fucking crash that you get at the end. Make sure you check out IcoDrinks.com. Now go and see them. Not only is it an amazing taste, it gives you a lasting energy boost. Without the jitters, all the crash. But most importantly, it's environmentally friendly as well. For me, it tastes like an amazing iced tea. And the goal is simple. Healthy lifestyle and environmental regeneration. Help save the planet and get a fucking good buzz. So go and see IcoDrinks.com. And also, before we kick off, I'd like to do a bit of a shout out to a good friend of mine from when I was growing up back home in Hereford. Now, this guy has started his own clothing line. I know. Crazy times, mate. People can just rock up and just start their own clothing line. But yeah, if you go out and check out RJ Scars Clothing. That is rjscarsclothing.co.uk. Check out the clothing line. It's brilliant. And it helps support a, a local business. Not only that, it also helps people with mental health. That's what his brand is about. Is bearing your scars and doing something about it. You might have mental health issues. That doesn't stop you. Just crack on. So that is rjscarsclothing.co.uk. Check them out. Also, if you're like me and you suffer a bit with your mental health issues, yeah, or you got a sleep disorder, an eating disorder, hell, you could have aches and pains within your muscles and joints, whatever the fuck. And you're like, I've tried everything. Have you tried CBD? Because me personally, I use CBD. I use the oil and I also use the muscle rub. And my knees and ankles have been so much better after using the muscle rub. It's beyond compare. And what I use personally is Infusion CBD. They're award winning. So go and check them out. That's Infusion CBD. Check them out. But without further ado, joining me on tonight's podcast or today's podcast, whichever one you want to say, is a lady that is really doing wonderful stuff within the mental health community. And it's going to be a powerful episode, I can feel it. She does a lot for supporting uh, combat veterans, service men and women, and does a lot for the, for all sorts of mental health issues, but mainly with PTSD. A Survival Guide to PTSD is her book, and it's going to be amazing. So without further ado, welcome to the Granite Zero podcast, Virginia Cruz. Check it out. 
Oh, got it. I hate that bit. Meh. Just, just, just have a little icon that comes down that says recording. I, I like the voice. It's you know the Siri voice. It's <laughs> it's very um, it's very comforting. There's just something about it. it's very soothing. Yeah, true. However, I don't think that actually shows up in the actual audio when I when I put it out. I'm pretty sure it cuts that little recording in progress out. I think I don't think that's I it. Well, we'll find out, <laughs> won't we? We we shall indeed. First up, welcome to the Grant Zero podcast. It is a uh, an honor and a pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you so much for having me, Sean. I really appreciate it. Now, uh, like I just said, it's it it's all it's all mine. the The honor and the privilege is all mine, and I appreciate you coming on. I know life is probably pretty hectic right now, um, as is everybody else getting back to normal, et cetera, et cetera. You know how it is. Um, but yeah, having someone actually reach out to me and say that, is it possible to come on to the show? I was like, wow, you, you know, it sort of took me back a little bit. So like I said, it's, the pleasure is all mine. Yeah, I saw your podcast or I listened rather to your podcast with Scott Deluzio, who wrote Surviving Son. And um, I'm a huge fan of his work and Surviving Son just, oh, it wrecked me. Um, what a beautifully, what a beautifully written memoir. And, um, and, and his conversation with you was really honest. It was authentic. And, um, and that's, that's pretty on brand for, for just my life. So that's, yeah. what, that's what I'm looking to do. Uh, see, I like that. That's, that's a similar sort of way that I sort of run the podcast. A lot of people say to me, like, do you go through editing? Do you do all this and have fancy stuff? It's like, no, not really. It's basically just me in a shed talking to someone to help to help guide me through my troubles and issues that I have and if I can help another person have a voice or want to air their opinion or air their problems whatever it may be that that's what I try and do and accommodate and having someone like Scott on and that story that almost broke me listening to it like and reading his uh his stuff because I'm very close to my brother and I was like I could never sort of think what if we if we served my brother didn't didn't serve I, I served um but I couldn't think if he was there with me and I lost my brother I'd be like I've just lost my right hand yeah unimaginable <clears throat> but then I never really sort of while I was on tour and and other things um I never really put my head into the mindset of say my wife uh my mum my dad my brother or even my wife's parents I never thought what are they thinking while I'm out in this shithole? <laughs> Basically, it's it's a strange thing, and yeah, it was a it was a powerful story that you had. I was very well taken back by it, but I was also mm-hmm. quite shocked at how. To be fair, he's probably spoke about it quite a lot now, but how calm and precise he was with how he was telling the story. It's like if that was me, I'd be all sort of all sorts of choked up. That's good therapy though, Sean. Yes. That, that's, that's good therapy. And so that's, yeah, that's where folks like me come in. So, you know, going through, unfortunately, we all go through traumatic events. You know, we, and that's just life. Um, but, you know, we can bounce back um, from these experiences. It doesn't mean that we're going to be the same as we were before the experience, but we can 
uh, you know, get our shit together and move on and resume our roles as, as a parent, as a child, as a, as a sibling, as a battle buddy, you know, it, it absolutely is possible to come back from traumatic events and to come back from PTSD, moral injury, even depression, anxiety. Um, we have evidence-based treatments that work in between 10 to 12 sessions. And so we know that that's actually true, whether you, you know, your traumatic event happened five months ago or 50 years ago with the Afghanistan withdrawal in August um, for the U.S., you know, I've been talking to a lot of Vietnam vets and a lot of folks who have come into therapeutic milieu for the first time and, uh, and they're getting the help that they need. And by and large, you know, those evidence-based treatments work and they work quickly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, do, do you know what, that, that is a, an amazing thing that veterans now from, from way back, whether it even as far back as maybe world war two, they're now thinking, hold on. I don't have to sit here and relive all this stuff that keeps going through my head, having sleepless nights, flashbacks and things like that. Because back then it was man up. Don't talk about that stuff. Don't ask, don't tell. Those sorts of things. And it's sort of quite refreshing that now that people are now are actually aware that there are these issues, PTSD, depression and things like that. There's no need for the awareness part because people are aware now it's the stuff that you're doing getting people to actually open up and go to therapy go to i don't know meetings with other veterans and discuss mm -hmm. the issues and and whatnot that goes on in your head a problem sure you know a, a problem halved and all that sort of stuff you know i can't I, off the top of my head i can't think of the actual phrase but um it's those sorts of things so but what I want to know is what sort of got you into sort of helping out veterans and, and going through the survival guides of, of PTSD, et cetera? Sure. So my origin story isn't really cool. Um, you know, just Every, everyone just, says that. <laughs> well, you know, I never set out to be a trauma therapist and, and hopefully nobody does set out to be a trauma therapist. And if anybody yeah. who's listening yeah. to your podcast does, they probably need a trauma therapist, but that's another story for another day. No, yeah. I, I started out as a soldier. Uh, I'm an Arabic speaker. I trained as an interrogator and I, you know, had a lot of work for this current war cycle, as you can imagine. And so after, you know, I served with a plan panoply of tactical units um, and really served well. Um, my first tour was with the infantry. I just band of brothers. It was a really, it was a really, it was a fucked up, fantastic time. Um, all of the above. But after my third deployment in 2008, I was not okay. And uh, I was I stationed in Germany at the time, and I was command directed to go to mental health because I'd had sort of an outburst. Well, not sort of an outburst. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, they sent me to a uh, sent me to a, a very large military treatment facility right there in Germany, and I talked with an active duty male colonel. Um, so another, you know, an army officer, uh, what Americans would call a slick sleeve, which means that they don't have a combat patch, so they haven't uh, deployed just yet. Um, but by now, lotty dotty, everybody has. Yeah. And so I sat down and talked with him. I, I knew something was wrong. I knew I was fucked, but I didn't exactly know how. I was yeah. drinking yeah. constantly. 
I was drinking two to three bottles of wine a day, which is unusual even by European standards. And, you know, I wasn't, wasn't sleeping. I was hallucinating. I was, uh, I was pretty messed up and I was blowing up my perfectly good marriage, my perfectly good relationships, my perfectly awesome job. And I knew that something was not okay. I just didn't know what. So I went and I saw this, this other, you know, military member and I poured my heart out to him for the better part of 60 minutes. And at the end of our time together, he, he kind of sat down and just had the sad look in his eyes and looked straight at me and said, wow, Virginia, I can really tell that you're struggling, but there's nothing I can do to help you if you won't be honest with me. I was really perplexed by that statement. And he clarified, he said, you know, we all know that women don't serve in combat. And needless to say, yeah, yeah. So that didn't end well. And, um, and I was escorted from the building, but to make a long story longer, um, I was feeling acutely suicidal before that interview. I was, um, you know, I, I, ha- I was thinking about killing myself pretty much every day, um, drinking all the time, and I was really struggling. And after that experience, I really felt like I was kicked while I was down. I just kicked right in the teeth. And to make matters worse, it was by another military member. So we went from bad to worse. And it was at that point that I realized, like, shit, if I don't figure this out, I'm going to die. I'm going to no shit die. I'm either going to kill myself, most likely scenario, or whatever is going on in my head is going to kill me. So I enrolled in graduate school because, you know, I do school okay. And uh, I enrolled in graduate school 14 years later. Here I am talking with you in your shed. And so one of the first gigs that I got once I was licensed as a mental health professional is I started teaching active duty service members in what we call an inpatient hospital. Uh, So that's where you go to the hospital, you stay overnight, you kind of locked in. And uh, and I was given the task of teaching about, you know, kind of doing what we call a psychoeducational piece, teaching about uh, post-traumatic stress and all of what we call the co-occurring disorders. So those are uh, the, you know, all of the disorders that, that come to the party with PTSD, which is very common. And I was given this really smart um, curriculum, you know, talking about the frontal lobes and the amygdala and, and my students were falling asleep. And I thought to myself, you know, like this, this is not working. And so I thought, you know, what is it that I wish that I had known? What, what are the things that I needed to know? And that's where non-commissioned officers come in, you know, in, in the army, at least, you know, NCOs are really good trainers. I had a, I had a great NCO, my second deployment, who always said, you know, are you, you know, are you picking up what I'm putting down? He would always ask, are you picking up what I'm putting down? And what I realized is what I needed, you know, before I went into, uh, into see that colonel was I needed a good NCO. I needed to know what is PTSD? Like, no shit. What is it? What is it not? What is it? I needed to answer the question, am I going batshit or is this legit? Then I needed to figure out my courses of action. All right, now that I've got, so basic, you know, basic ORM, I need to know what this is. What do I do about it? What are my courses of action? And then how do I, how do I pick a course of action? How do I execute and follow through with that? 
And then moreover, I really needed to understand kind of some of the more nuanced things that we find in military mental health that we don't find in, you know, the real world, not as opposed to the fake world, but just the civilian world. And what, what I really needed to know was how do I talk to my chain of command about getting help? How do I talk to my family? How can I set good boundaries, even if I'm still active duty? Can, it, can I set good boundaries? How do I get my social support? Because making friends when we're outside the military is kind of hard. Oh, you know, how do, the hardest. They don't get us. Civilians don't understand us. <laughs> it takes them a while to understand, I think. Maybe. You know, but, but how do we make those friends? How do we... Yeah, yeah. We know that social support... You know, that's that's a fancy term that's that psychologists use for friends. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. that having friends is it's a non-negotiable <laughs> if we're going to recover from PTSD. The data are very clear. You know, we need to have friends. So while I would love to do this on my own, um, if I could, you know, if we could have if we could have recovered from PTSD or depression or anxiety on our own, fucking we would have already done it. Yeah, exactly. This, unfortunately, that's not a thing. So we don't heal in isolation. We heal in community. And the data are very clear. We may not want, we may want to do this on our own, but that, that's not a thing. You know, we, but the good news is we have these evidence-based treatments. Uh, we can ask for them by name. They work. And, um, and we can find friends. And, and so ended up write, rewriting this class and kind of making up my own curriculum based on what I needed at the time. And my students stayed on me, you know, they stayed on me like a fat kid on a cupcake and they just <laughs> nagged me. They nagged me. And finally, this past February, we went ahead and published the Soldier's Guide to PTSD. And it's, it's uh, subtitled The No Shit Guide to Reclaiming Your Life. And, you know, while I'm a therapist, you know, I'm a mental health specialist, I think the most important thing is, you know, I'm, I'm a linguist at heart. At the end of the day, I'm a linguist and I'm a soldier. And while I've got all these extra bells and whistles and letters at the end of my name, it really doesn't matter if people aren't picking up what I'm putting down. Language matters. Accessibility yeah, yeah. matters. And so the Soldier's Guide to PTSD is really, it's a soldier to soldier guide. It is talking about what PTSD is, what it's not. And how do we know shit, recover and reclaim our lives? So it is written really, you know, from me to you. It is this love a love that. letter to troops. I love that. Um, well, at the end of the day, we've got a lot of information out there. You can go to Dr. Google and scare the shit out of yourself. Oh, uh, yeah. My, uh, my wife loves a bit of Dr. Google. It's terrifying. <laughs> she, she'll, she'll have like a stomachache and all of a sudden she's got brain cancer or something. And she's like, Jesus Christ. Legit. Put the phone down. <laughs> you know, and that, that chaps my ass. There is a lot of information out there. And when it comes to PTSD, you know, we've got a lot of really amazing researchers and ideas. We've got a lot of good idea fairies. Got yep. a lot of good idea fairy snipers. We got everybody running around with their fucking puzzle piece. You know, like, I'm going to do equine therapy or I'm going to do that. And oh, hold on. Those horse people get really pissed. All right. Got you. Equine therapy, highly effective evidence-based. Got it. Keep your strongly worded email to yourself. Those horse <laughs> people are weird, man. You'll be getting hate mail. But Won't everyone runs time. around. Yeah, everyone is running around with their puzzle piece. And no one is really asking the very simple question. Are we communicating this 
in a way that matters. We train 18 year old soldiers how to, how to fix aircraft, how to speak Chinese, how to, uh, you know, how to, how to shoot, you know, how, how to run tanks, how to, how to run battalions. I mean, we, military members are unbelievably intelligent and PTSD is extremely logical. It is the single most logical mental health disorder it, that there is. It is our body and brains, very normal, I say again, normal reaction to a very abnormal set of circumstances. Everything that happens with PTSD, these are unbelievably, ex they're expected. This is an expected outcome. That doesn't mean it tickles, it feels like dog shit, but it is very expected. But we still, we're not teaching it in a way, we need more NCOs out there. I guess. So I yeah. guess I'm just, I'm leading the march. And I get, your I get listeners. That. I get that totally. It's, um, it's as though you've got a lot of, I'm going to use like, you've got a lot of the brains. There's loads of, well, not say loads, all these different psychologists, positive psychologists. I've, I know a, a close friend of mine, which is Al McGregor, who specializes in the inner armor technique, which hands down helped me no end it was brilliant i think he's over in america at the minute but that's another story but then you've got to try and pass those messages on but without blowing people's mind with all the scientific jargon you might say because the average soldier will look at certain things i've had it before where i've had an, another another guest on who has been giving me all these different psychology things it was like a fucking lecture I was like, you've literally just blown my mind. Can you just talk in soldier speak? Yeah, be <laughs> so, normie, man. So yeah, so speak to me like I'm. I don't know what you're talking about because I'm pretty sure I don't know what you just said. It sounded foreign to me. But it, do you know what I mean? You having like the NCO, like you said, they're amazing at what they do. That training wise, whether it goes from weapon handling test to first aid to how to do a PowerPoint presentation. Ooh. Yeah. These guys know what they're doing. If you do all that and you can train somebody else to then do all that, it then you can, and then everybody will hopefully get these. I always use the term of a, like a bat belt, like Batman has got all this stuff on his utility belt, all this different knowledge that you can pick up and then use will help you in the long run. If you're starting to feel these effects of PTSD, depression, anxiety, you can go, well, I got taught this by this person. <laughs> oh, I know how you can help with this thing and different trainings, different yeah. broadening the horizon instead of just being so blinkered. Because similar to you, when I was, I went to therapy and my therapist was like, you have got a lot of issues that are under the skin that you don't you haven't even scratched at yet and i was sort of a bit perplexed by it going what i thought it was just this issue and they're like no no you've got several issues but i never knew that and um, how did that make you feel after she told you that did you feel just really encouraged like yeah what a challenge kind of i kind of wanted to know more like what what else is sort of because uh, like like you said, um, similar to you as well, I was going through these issues where I didn't know what the fuck was going on. I was 
snapping at my wife for no reason. Absolutely no reason at all. She probably had a good day at work, come home to me, and I'm a horrible bastard at home. My uh, kids at the time would have probably been about four and two, possibly. They would drop a fork or a plate on the floor just messing around at dinner. I would lose my shit. Mm-hmm. Like, but it wasn't like a build-up. It was gone. I was snapped. And it was like, oh, fucking hell. And I remember sitting down having a conversation with one of my friends. And I was like, uh, I was saying, Nick, I was like, I don't know what's going on. I, it's like, it's all these different things. I'm not sleeping right. I, I tend to suffer. If, I'm, if my stress levels go too high, I then start suffering from the um, sleep paralysis or sleep apnea or whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. That then kicks in. So then my sleep gets even worse. I wake up and I'm even worse and then I was like ah then it was my my wife said to she was like Sean you need to go to therapy but during all this time as well I was sort of still in my blinkered mind thinking I was in the RAF regiment um I didn't see too much combat as it were I was out there uh I was out on the ground doing patrols I didn't see any kinetic action should we say i was still front line out and about but no kinetic action and all my friends or friends should i say no longer friends um were saying the same as what i was thinking i can't be having these issues you know that's that's a i'm really glad that you shared that and thank you um the number one thing that i hear when i talk with active duty service members and veterans is this idea of, I don't deserve to have PTSD. Um, You know, that PTSD is somehow reserved for folks who are, you know, special warfare group that are, um, you know, that I have to be, you know, and and I hear this within the civilian population too, that PTSD is only for military. And then within the military milieu, I'm only hearing, well, only special warfare deserves to have, or I wasn't, you know, I'm not a door knocker, I'm not a bell ringer. Yeah. You know, I only did that. And so, I mean, let's let's talk about the science behind that, because that is legit. The number one thing that I hear when people come into therapy, like Virginia, I don't deserve to have PTSD. And I'm like, shit. Well, I you know, I don't deserve to have the flu. I don't deserve yeah. to have <laughs> HIV or schizophrenia yeah. or, you know, I, I, I'm shit. You know, I'm really good looking. I'm a nice person. I don't deserve to have any of that. But guess what? HIV, schizophrenia doesn't give a shit and neither does PTSD. It doesn't really matter. So PTSD is something that happens to you. It's not something wrong with you. So one of the the criteria uh, or criterion alpha, which is kind of in, in something called the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. It's this big ass purple book that needs to be on your therapist's bookshelf. And what it does is it, um, it defines what trauma is so that and we have to have these definitions so that we can have a diagnosis and there's a you know there's a lot of talk about it life isn't fair get the fuck over it so criterion alpha talks about trauma being actual or threatened exposure to death serious injury or sexual violence i say again actual or threatened exposure to death serious injury or sexual violence that's an unbelievably large umbrella and i mean that that covers everything from um, you know, going to war, um, being sexually, you know, assaulted, being human trafficked, 
um, very serious injury, illness, suicide attempt. I mean, this is a big ass umbrella. So let's talk about that term actual or threatened exposure. So when you go out on a convoy, um, every time you leave the wire, your body and your brain goes into go mode. So your body and your brain take over, you go into fight, flight, freeze. Whether you get your convoy hit or not, every time you go out on patrol, every time you stop and talk with somebody. And the reason for that is pretty simple. Hopefully you, I mean, I know nobody listens to their S2, but you gotta be, you gotta be a smart cookie. You gotta watch, you know, watch the BBC and you realize that, you know, maybe my convoy didn't get schwacked today, but in life, convoys get schwacked. So your body and your brain get very ready every time you leave the wire, every time you feel your body and brain feels under threat. Fucking miraculous what our brain does. So getting ready for fight, flight, freeze. So in order to get ready for that, a lot of things start happening. Our heart starts beating faster. The reason for that is to get the blood to the muscles because fight, flight, freeze takes a tremendous amount of energy. Um, we start sweating. We start shaking. Our eyes actually start to dilate so that we can start to focus, um, oversimplifying it. But our frontal lobes kind of shut off. So this is the part of our brain that's responsible for memory. You know, we're not going to Disney. You know, no, we're not no, here no, to take, no. we're not taking pictures. Our body and our brain is getting ready to stay alive, staying alive. And it worked because you're here, you're in your shed, you're talking with me. Our brain has two main jobs. Number one, to keep you alive. And number two, to make meaning, whether you have all the information or not. I say again, to make meaning, whether you have all the information or not. So your body's your body is getting ready to keep you alive. So when those frontal lobes show off, this is why we don't have a lot of memories when it comes to our traumatic experiences. So we talk to a lot of folks who don't remember big chunks of their deployment. Uh, for survivors of child sexual abuse or childhood abuse, we find that survivors don't remember large chunks of their childhood. And that is nothing short of a fucking miracle because your brain has kept you alive. Your brain shut that part down. So your body and your brain react the same way every time you leave the wire, whether you get schwacked or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and so- It's very similar to what my, uh, my therapist actually said because when, when I first sat down, I was trying to go through like all the different incidences that I sort of went through, um, trying to piece in my head why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And uh, I was saying that I first deployed to Iraq when I was 22. I remember getting the first rocket attack and sort of shitting my pants a little bit, hiding under the table and being like, oh. And I would go through each time that I was going out on, de on, out on deployment, out on the, on, on the ground, which was pretty much daily. Um, the same when I went on my next tour in 2009, so I'd have been 23, 24. Again, each and every day going out, each and every day could be doing this. Um, the moment where my uh, my section commander tried to pull a wire out of the ground while I was confirming it to see if it was an IED. But the, the thing that she picked up on, she was like, you're saying that as though it's a regular thing. And I was like, well, it was a regular thing. She went, yeah, but it's not a regular thing. 
you wouldn't go out now and walk down the street and think I'm going to get blown up today. But every time you went out on the ground, you had to be in that fight or flight sort of mode that I'm ready to go. I'm going out. I could not come back. And she was like, you were 22 when you first started doing this. There were some that were younger. That's a lot to take in for a 22 year old man or woman to take in. And she went, but the fact that you're sort of saying it sort of nonchalantly is probably one of the reasons why you're not dealing with it because you thought it was normal and it's not. And I was like, oh, right. But in my head, I was thinking, well, the Paris and the Marines and the US are getting smashed daily. I saw a couple of rocket attacks. That was like in my head. I had a couple of rocket attacks, roll over and go back to sleep. She was like, she was, trying, she was trying to think of it on a civilian point of view instead of a military one. And she was like, that's not normal to the way you're processing it. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> you know, even now I sort of still sort of go, hmm. You know, I, I would respectfully disagree. Uh, I think that's a pretty normal reaction to a set of very abnormal circumstances. Yeah. You know, what you went through you know, what we all go through, you know, life, everybody plays and nobody wins. Can we just get real for a minute? Yeah, yeah, cool. And, and it's like, you know, the body and the brain are going to do what it, what it has to do to keep you alive and to make meaning. So our brain's job is, is to make meaning, to right-size all of that, to say, well, you know, that is kind of normal. And then the point of therapy is to right-size that is to right-size that because when we redeploy and we go back home, you know, it, it's not really helpful if we still see Charlie in the foxhole and we're going to the supermarket or we're walking our dog. You know, that is where the word disorder comes in with PTSD. So a lot of people take exception to that. They're like, no, I'm not disordered. I'm like, calm the fuck down. That's not what that means. So that's a clinical term that means that my symptoms have gotten to the point where my life is out of order. In other words, I'm not able to uh, resume my roles as a parent, as a spouse, as a child, as a friend. So, you know, we, we come back because that adaptation, the, the brain is just unbelievable, is miraculously adaptative. It's amazing. But then we get back home and what kind of life do we have if we can't go to our kid's soccer game? What kind of life do we have if we can't go out with our spouse to a beautiful restaurant for our anniversary without having our back to the wall and knowing all the points of egress in the building. It kind of kind of ruins the mood. Yeah. And so, you know, how do we adjust? How do we right-size that? And how do we get back to a place where we can function again, where our thinking and where our, our symptoms are no longer disordered? In other words, we have reduced them to the point where we can function. We, you know, we can do that. So unbelievably important. But um, no, I mean, unfortunately, you know, attacks are normal. And while you had the pucker factor on that first rocket attack, you probably didn't again. And probably toward the end of your deployment, you didn't <coughs> even, you know, stop eating in the chow hall. No, 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 it didn't move. Yeah. I die, I die. Today's the day, yeah. okay. But yeah, uh, these powdered eggs are awesome. Yeah, that, that was one of the things that my wife always found quite funny. She was like, how did you sort of deal with the rocket attacks? I was like, if it lands in a tent, I'm dead. So what's the point in rolling over and 
lying on the floor. So if it's in the if it's in the dead, if it's in the tent, well, I'm dead. So she was like, what? It's like, well, if you did it, you would understand. Um, you know, and those are the same reactions that we see for folks who have, uh, you know, who, who survive incredible trauma. Uh, I'm in South Texas and, and we have a, a very severe human trafficking problem because uh, we're a border city. Um, you know, so people are human trafficked repeatedly abused, starved, beaten. It's, you know, people adapt, our minds adapt. And some, and not most of the time, not in very healthy ways, you know? But one thing I, I do want to touch on, because it kind of chaps my ass, is this idea of trauma comparison. And so this is something that I hear it within the military community, and I never hear it within the civilian community. So when I'm talking with, let's say, uh, uh, survivors of intimate partner violence or domestic yeah. violence, what you might call it, I never am in a group and, and hear, you know, one person talk to another and say, you think your husband beat you up? I went yeah. to the hospital three times. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, I got stitches for it. I never hear that shit. Why? Because that's fundamentally fucked up. But let's talk about what I do here. Oh, you only got blown up once? I got blown up three times. I went to Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, I did all of this trauma comparison. And now calm down. I'm not saying that people are being malicious when they do that. I, uh, I sometimes they are though. I've had you it. Know, yeah, there's an asshole <laughs> under every rock. It happens. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but most of the time, you know, let's face it, we've got our own reasons for putting ourselves out there to, you know, to feel, yeah, exactly. you know, exactly. legitimized, I get it. But the one thing that folks are not realizing, my service members, is that there is an unexpected, there are always unexpected second and third order effects. And what happens when we trauma compare is we make people feel not heard. We yep. make them feel gaslit and, you know, it, it, you know, it just, it delegitimizes everything and it makes them not go and get the help that they need. And I always go back to my own experience, you know, when, after I, I met with that psychiatrist back in Germany, I was labeled with a personality disorder, which is a, a very loaded disorder uh, that just means kind of like, a, you know, I'm a chick who can't handle my shit and, uh, and I'm fucked in the head. Um, or at least that's what I heard. Maybe that wasn't what was said, but that was what I picked up from that. And I'm not saying that people with personality disorders have that. So calm down listeners. But <laughs> that was the equivalent. I, it, was, it was very demoralizing to yeah. me. It made yeah. me feel more suicidal. You know, thankfully I, you know, I got my shit together and figured this shit out. But, you know, we have, when we say, you know, there's 22 for a reason, everyone knows what we're talking about. Oh yeah. You go 22. It's like, that's no one's, that's no one's, you know, Jersey number anymore. That number has its own meaning all on its own. And everybody knows what it is because military suicide is such a ubiquitous. It's just, fuck. I mean, I, I have not met another service member ever. Now that I'm thinking about it, who hasn't lost more friends to suicide than we did to combat ever. Yeah. It's terrifying. And trauma comparison doesn't help. No, it doesn't. It doesn't help. And especially when there are 
you know, there are evidence-based treatments. I want to talk about that for a second, if that's yeah, all right. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So evidence-based treatments, it's really fucking important. So if you have cancer, you're not going to go to your primary care. You're not going to go to a dermatologist or a podiatrist. You know, you're going to go to a, a, an oncologist. You're going to go to a no-shit cancer doctor because cancer will kill you. <clears throat> cancer will kill you. And so therapists actually specialize. This is something I was pretty surprised to learn. You know, we specialize. Um, so for example, I specialize in, in PTSD, moral injury, sort of a one trick pony. It's really all I do. I can do other things, but I'm really not good at it. So if you come into my office or in my zoom room and you've, you know, you've got problems with a teenager or eating disorder, whatever, I'm going to send you to someone else. So it's really important that when we have PTSD or when we're having mental health disorders, that we go to a no shit specialist. We're going to a specialist and not a generalist because we need to be with somebody who keeps up on the research and can help us out. So there are evidence-based treatments for PTSD. So you'll call those, you know, it's not, if it's not an acronym, it's not real. So you're going to see EBTs, EBTs all the time. So those evidence-based treatments, those are tested much in the way that, you know, the American FDA will test a new drug. So it'll be, uh, you know, double blind studies done over, you know, double blind studies done with literally thousands of service members over a very long period of time, what we call a longitudinal study. So over a very long period of time, and we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they work, or rather that they work for most people, most of the time. I say again, they work for most people, most of the time. So in with the uh, Department of Veteran Affairs here in the U.S., this is a beast. Um, I'm sure it, it, healthcare just seems to be much better everywhere else. Um, but at least in in the Department of Veteran Affairs here in the U.S., we have three evidence-based treatments that are approved by the VA as uh, as as legit for PTSD. And so, being able to move that beast, not a small deal. And that's cognitive processing therapy. CPT, so Charlie, Papa, Tango, um, prolonged exposure, and something called EMDR. So that's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So that there are other really profoundly effective evidence-based treatments, but those are the three that are approved by the Department of Veteran Affairs here. What that means is that they are very widely available. And we can ask for them by name. We should be going to a therapist, talking to them and saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a therapist who does cognitive processing therapy, who does EMDR. Can you help me? You can go to, that's when you can go to Dr. Google and find someone very specifically to unfuck what you're going through. Ask for those evidence-based treatments, ask for them by name. But also what we know about these evidence-based treatments is they work for most people most of the time and they work quickly. So on average, about 10 sessions. So between eight and 15 sessions, but 10 seems to be the sweet spot. So if you're working with a therapist once a week, a very general outpatient therapy, you're going to unfuck yourself in about three to four months. And I say again, that's, not, that's whether we've been dealing with our PTSD symptoms for five months or 50 years. So it is, and it doesn't tickle. I want to be super clear. PTSD treatment sucks. It is awful. 
However, it's not harder than what you've been through. And it's definitely not harder than losing the rest of your life to your symptoms. No, of course not. So here's your straw. Suck it up. It's, it sucks. It's awful. But it's not harder than what you've been through. And it's not forever. This is, this is very temporary. Um, and, and they are widely available. So with those three evidence-based treatments, it's really important to talk about outliers. So this is just math. Okay, so let's say, so we've got those three evidence-based treatments. We've got the CPT, EMDR, and prolonged exposure. So you go to course of action alpha, all right? You go to the CPT and we'll just use the Pareto rule. We'll keep it really simple, 80-20, all right? So it's gonna work for 80% of the people. It's not gonna work for 20% of the people. Got it. Here's the thing. If I had a 20% chance of winning the lottery, I would play. I'd play yeah. five times. I'd probably win. That is a huge number statistically, huge, unimaginable. And we know, researchers know and therapists know that a very large number, not 20%, but a very large number of folks will not respond to every evidence-based treatment. And that's okay. So that because if you are an outlier, then we'll move on to course of action Bravo. Doesn't work course of action, Charlie. Let's say you go through all those three evidence-based treatments and you're still a statistical outlier. First of all, congratulations. You won the lottery. You are a statistical outlier. Go buy tickets somewhere. (laughs) But that tells a specialist very specific information. It tells us, you know, number one, maybe we don't have the right diagnosis. Maybe we're not dealing with clear-cut PTSD. We could be dealing with something called moral injury, which uh, is a relatively, you know, new, and, and it's not even a diagnosis we would find in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, that DSM. That's not something we find, um, but it is something that's getting a lot more attention and uh, maybe another story for another podcast. Or we might be dealing with what we call a co-occurring disorder. I want to explain what that means. So PTSD is one of those mental disorders that always comes to the party with friends. It's it's a big joiner. So the five most common co-occurring disorders means it's happening at the same time. Uh, The five most common ones I see is depression, anxiety, alcohol and drug misuse. And there's a whole, uh, whole category behind that. Obsessive compulsive disorder, what we call OCD and eating disorders, especially with men especially within the the special warfare community, eating disorders. So those are the five most common co-occurring disorders that I personally see in my practice that come to the party with PTSD. And, you know, and, and a side of moral injury for flavor. And so what we know is that we may have to deal with that co-occurring disorder. Uh, You know, we may have to quit drinking, quit using, start going to meetings. We may have to really look at our eating disorder and the compulsion that that is telling us that I'm only safe if I'm binging, purging, starving myself. We may have to look at that in order to get to the root of that PTSD. So think about it as a roots and fruits issue. So you got a tree and the roots are PTSD, but what we're seeing is the drug abuse. What we're seeing is the anxiety. We're seeing the panic attack. We're seeing the meltdown, um, you know, at at our kids' soccer game. We're seeing uh, the fighting with our spouse. So we're seeing all these fruit 
all these fruits on the outside, but the issue might be rooted in that trauma. Does that make sense? That PTSD? Yeah, yeah, of course. That makes a lot of sense. And so let's say we don't have a co-occurring disorder. We might have what is classified as treatment-resistant PTSD. So does that mean your food bar? No. We have, just like, it's just like having a treatment-resistant fungus. We just need a stronger cream. <laughs> and, and the good news is we have incredible, in the U.S., there's, I think, the exact number is a shit ton of money um, that has been thrown at PTSD and PTSD research. So there's a lot of money that goes into this. And a lot of it is put into treating treatment-resistant PTSD. And we have studies that are freaking, oh my God, every month they're coming out with, even during pandemic, during, with all of these amazing data, they're using things like the stellate ganglion block, which is the God shot, ketamine, uh, MDMA, um, uh, faith-based uh, therapies, uh, transdiagnostic therapies, meaning that um, it unfucks a lot of diagnoses all at once. Um, and, and it's really, it's nothing short of amazing. Um, but we have to have a good diagnosis. We have to know what we're dealing with. It, it is very statistically unlikely that somebody who comes into the therapeutic environment is beyond hope. Just, and that's, that's math. That's science. That's science. Now, let's get real about it. There is no thing and no one who can convince you something is something is true if you very, very fundamentally believe that it's not. So that's science too. It sucks, but it's science, it's reality. So if there are a lot of people who are gonna listen to your podcast and who listen to you, Sean, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, he was able to come back from his PTSD, but that's probably not possible for me. Yeah. Or yeah, like it's really nice, you know, how nice if Virginia and, and Sean are drinking a cup of tea and, and talking about PTSD, oh, it's so how, how joyful and delightful for them. But you don't know where I've been. You don't know where I'm from. You don't know my shit. And they're right. Can we just get for real about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I don't know where they've been. I don't know where they're from. That, that was one of the first things that I ever said to the trolls that I had. So I had quite a few trolls saying I was making it up. I was lying. I was like, okay, you guys weren't the ones picking me up from the floor in my kitchen when mm -hmm. I was in a fucking teary mess. No, mm -hmm. that was that was my eight-year-old daughter that picked me up mm -hmm. off the floor. Um, you don't know what I saw and what I did while I was a kid and certain things that I will never discuss on, on the podcast, but I saw a, a few things that affected my sort of childhood. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how... I was very defensive then. It was very much, how fucking dare you say that I don't have these issues when I've been to the doctor, I've been to a therapist, yeah. I've been to, I've done fucking online courses to try and help myself understand what is going on. I've went and did the inner armor coaching course and things like that. I was like, I'm doing things to try and better myself and to then help others to show that this is how I'm dealing with it. You might have your own way of dealing with it. But there is, there, there is a fucking light within you know, the darkness. It, it, there really is. And um, yeah, my, likewise, my hate mail is epic. I mean, it's awesome. I get a <laughs> lot of hate. First of all, I mean, I have a vagina. 
um, which is, you know, so I get a lot of hate mail about, you know, you use the F-bomb and it hurts my feelings. It makes me sad on the inside. And I'm like, oh, wow, fuck you. <laughs> and uh, so I do, I get epic hate mail yeah, and, yeah. and I dig it, but you know, it's, and it hurts, you know, because nobody is doing a podcast about mental health because they want to, you know, for the money or the fame, Sean. Exactly. You're doing this because you want to, you <laughs> want to actually change the world. You hit the nail on the head. There is a lot of people. There was a rumor going around that I sold a story to the paper about the regiment that I served with, so that I could fund my podcast. Okay, right. <laughs> Which Your is state probably, of the art studio. Yeah, in my state of the art shed. Um, that bearing in mind the only thing that I've ever been given financially was by my dad who bought me a MacBook my wife and kids bought me the microphone for Father's Day this chair that I'm sitting in I found because I was driving and I saw a sign that said please take me and I was like I'm going to take you because you look comfy and you'll fit in my shed (laughs) Epic, awesome but it's like and also, I'm not on Patreon. I'm not on any of these. The content that I release is free. You know, so Freud <laughs> would have called that projection. So this is the idea that, you know, we always think we're looking out a window, but we're really looking in a mirror that we, so, you know, I think, I think, uh, I think Taylor Swift put it better. You know, haters going to hate, hate, hate. <laughs> You know, I think she, I think she paraphrased Freud beautifully. And uh, yeah, he, he would, he would, oh, I'm glad he's not around to respond to that. But, you know, it's. She's got to shake it off. We got (laughs) to shake it off, shake it off. And, um, but, but it really does say a lot more hurting people hurt people, brother. Yeah. You know, the people who are sending that epic hate mail and are saying, you don't know where I've been. You don't know where I'm from. They they're not doing it because, you know, from a place of, you know, you know, trollers troll for a reason. And there are a lot of people who listen to this who really believe that they are beyond treatment. So let's, I mean, let's address that for a minute, that they're beyond treatment, that, yeah, there's evidence-based treatment, there's all this science, but I am beyond that. And, you know, the one thing, and, and I get that a lot, you know, there's, you know, there's nothing that I can do to make people believe change is possible and make them want to change. And there are even more people who, you know, I, I in, my, in my practice, um, I work pretty specifically with people who've either uh, witnessed or committed war crimes. Not, you know, not something you put on your website. But there's a, you know, it's, we need to start getting real about that. You know, those are much more, uh, is much more prevalent than we'd like to think, you know, across, across gender, gender identity, MOS, uh, and service. It's happening a lot out there. And so there are a lot of us who believe that if I get treatment for my PTSD, that somehow it makes what I did okay. That somehow it's whitewashing everything that I've done. And you know, the, and these are things that, that I address pretty regularly in, in my hate mail. You know, and, and the one thing I, I ask clients when they come into my office and they're like, yeah, I'm here because my wife's going to leave me if I don't talk to you. And I'm like, oh, shit day for you, man. Um, <laughs> and, 
And I always, you know, like for example, if there is, you know, is it possible that you're wrong, first of all? Is it possible that you are wrong, that you are Donkey Kong wrong? It, is it possible that you are not seeing yourself clearly? You know, I'm not asking if that's true. I'm just asking, is it possible? Have you ever been wrong in your life? And I'm wrong every day. It's, oh, it is what it is. Yeah. Is it possible that you are wrong? Like if you've listened to a podcast, or you've read a book and you learned something that you didn't know before, then it is quite possible that you are wrong about yourself. Is it possible that you are not seeing yourself clearly? So what we know about PTSD is that it fucks with our fundamental belief systems. I say again, it alters our fundamental belief systems. And this is right from the criteria. All right, so it changes the way we feel about ourselves, other people in the world, our belief system in terms of trust, safety, power and control, intimacy, or you know, vulnerability and self-esteem or how we esteem others or the world. It fundamentally fucks with that. Is it possible? Is it possible that you are actually seeing yourself through the lens of PTSD and maybe not accurately? Maybe you're not seeing yourself for what, is it possible that you're stronger than you think you are? Have you ever done something in your life before that you thought was impossible, but you somehow got through it anyway? Is it possible that your wife and your kids are right and they, they are seeing you for who you really are and you are not? Yeah, you're that's, not. that's why we have to work with, with a therapist. Ones. Was, was I, I was uh, forever negative about myself. Um, like you said before, the, the depression <laughs> sort of goes hand in hand or, or the PTSD and the depression sort of come to the party at the same time. Um, mine was a lot of uh, self-hatred. Mm-hmm. Um, I hated myself for leaving the, the military. I hated myself for not now having the purpose that I had before. Because I, I used to be the proudest person, like walking around in my uniform, thinking that I was the big I am, you might say. And then all of a sudden, I'm a security officer at a like a warehouse. And I was mm-hmm. like, and I would look at myself and think, who the fuck is this guy? I hate this guy. This guy isn't me. But then it wasn't until, again, going back through therapy, speaking to people like yourself, and actually taking off those fucking depression, PTSD, fucking glasses, taking them off and then mm-hmm. seeing what my wife and kids saw. Because they, they were like, oh, daddy's having his best fucking brilliant. Daddy's not going away anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, and seeing myself finally just, well, would have been just recently because even even up until uh, until I started the podcast really I really didn't like the person that I was and it's only up until recently after writing my own book starting the podcast I did a little YouTube documentary thing trying to air all this crap out that I actually thought I'm actually doing something that I'm enjoying and it's now that I'm like I like I like you now you you can stay <laughs> it's, it's it's nice although i still look at myself and think you still can't grow a beard and you're 34 
and you still try. Oh, this is, this is an <laughs> podcast, you know. We're okay, man. Yeah, it's it's so yeah, we you know, in cognitive processing therapy, one of those evidence-based treatments, we call those stuck points. Yeah. So yeah. those, you know, we will walk we will say things to ourselves that we would never if somebody walked up to your kid and said, you know, you can't do anything right. You shouldn't even be proud of yourself. Who do you think you are? Only a monster would do that. You, you pummel them. You would never allow someone to say that to your kid. Chances are you wouldn't even allow someone to say that to you. If somebody came up and, and that's why, you know, the hate mail can, can feel really personal. Yeah. But we will look right in the mirror, brother, and say that shit to ourselves. Oh, it's daily, so daily saying yeah. it to myself. And so cognitive processing therapy is brilliant because it works at right-sizing and analyzing those beliefs. And, and there's a very, it's a very structured, you know, it, it's, it's like an Excel worksheet, um, you know, for feelings. It's, it's really effective, very highly effective for people who are very analytical um, and, and especially soldiers who fall, you know, in, in some of those, those jobs. Uh, but we need to right-size our thoughts and we can't do it on our own. You know, that's, that's one of those things I, I hear all the time, Virginia, I get what you're saying, but I'm, I'm really going to do it on my own. And I'm like, yeah, how's that working for you? Yeah. How's that shit working out? Probably not. So, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If we could do it on our own, we would have, we would have. Yeah. And when it comes to, um, when it comes to therapy, you know, those evidence-based treatments are ass kickers are tough. They are tough. However, um, we're interested in uncovering, in, in changing paradigms in, in terms of right-sizing things, you know, you, in terms of right, I'll just be real with you. You might find out you know, through prolonged exposure therapy or through, you know, EMDR that you're not a war criminal, but you are an asshole. <laughs> yeah. You might be. <laughs> it happens. Definitely. You know, there is a lot that goes, you know, and war crimes is, you know, something, another show for another day, probably a really uncomfortable topic uh, that would, that would need a, a trigger warning. That's something I'm really very passionate about helping uh, service members with because that shit's for real. And it, it, destroy, it doesn't just destroy the person, it destroys families, communities, uh, entire units. Um, so, you know, we need to start talking about that. But, you know, going through therapy, it's hard. It's not forever. And what the fuck do you have to lose, by the way? Exactly. exactly. Um, the only thing you really have to lose by trying is you lose your symptoms, maybe, or maybe you're still in the same boat. Maybe you're still in the same boat. So I would encourage your listeners to, to go for the jugular, to talk to a PTSD therapist, to find a no shit specialist and to ask for those evidence-based treatments by name. And what have you got to lose? And I do want to let your listeners know also that, um, you know, we're offering uh, a freebie to your folks. They can go to thesoldiersguide.com and download a free preview copy of the book. Uh, you know, we ask you for your email, but you can, you can get off your email list if you want to, if you're that hung up about it. Um, it. 
and what what we're giving is the first two chapters of the soldier's guide to PTSD, um, which goes over what PTSD isn't. So rumors that are absolutely not true, but will fuck with your head. So yeah, we talk yeah. a lot about what PTSD is not. And then we talk about what PTSD is and we go through the diagnostic criteria line by line and we offer a, a clinician to English translation, which is really important. You know, so we're taking all the psychobabble that doesn't help anybody and we're getting it down to brass tacks. And also we have a, a workbook that's available. You can go to the soldiersblog.com. You can check us out on social media and download a free copy of our workbook and you can print it out. The, the idea is, and we did this for a reason. Unfortunately, the experience that I had with that military psychiatrist is, is not a one-off. No, uh, there are a lot of, it's not, I wish it were. And that is especially true for women, people of color and people who identify as a member of the queer community. There's a lot of gaslighting when it comes to mental health and especially when it comes to PTSD. Therefore, it is imperative that we know our symptoms better than anyone else, better than our therapist, better than uh, you know, our psychiatrist, better than our chain of command, our boss. We need to understand what, we, what it is that we are going through so that we can make appropriate decisions in terms of a course of action. No one is going to be more interested in our recovery than we are. And we have to take it unbelievably seriously. You know, I wish we could, um, you know, rely on somebody else to do their job, but that's not a thing. So get real. It's important that we learn about our symptoms and, and really take this on. And so that's why we offer that, that free workbook uh, to anyone who will take it. That's awesome. That really is awesome. Yeah. So hopefully the, the listeners actually go to it and, and check it out. I know I, I'll, I'll definitely smash it out through all, all my socials as well so that um, they can see it, which is what this is all about is spreading. Wow. When it's spreading, I always think of uh, like venereal diseases. <laughs> yeah. You know? but, you know, if PTSD could, if PTSD knowledge and research could spread like a venereal disease, does in the military that would be awesome <laughs> yes um but that's another story for another day and uh yeah oh my gosh but yeah sorry about that no, that's fine. um but it's just so important that we understand that we understand that uh you know we're we're not hopeless we're not hopeless there is a solution um and, and that yeah we're not and <laughs> Jesus, my, um, you know, my little team, um, if I could give a quick shout out to them. So Nicole yeah, Tribbett, Katie Salidas, and Barbie McRae, who just gave birth like literally last week. I mean, I've got a little Congratulations. Team. She's amazing. She's unbelievable. She, these, uh, you know, they, they handle the social media and just making me look a lot cooler than I am. Thank God. And um, they're just, they're unbelievable. And we are just, we are all in. We are all in. God knows, you know, we're, we're not in this shit for the money or the fame because that would be foolish. <laughs> but, um, but we are in this to change, to change the dialogue and, and just to have some real talk and to give some hope 
uh, for service members to really talk about, you know, what what this what PTSD is, what moral injury is. So within the Soldier's Guide to PTSD, we you know we cover what it is, what it isn't. We also go into depth about what those three evidence-based treatments are and what are other evidence-based treatments that are more reserved for treatment-resistant PTSD. Uh, we talk about how to talk to family about PTSD. Uh, like what you've mentioned, um, you know, those of us who, who have any sort of mental illness, we will, we will blow up our perfectly good marriages, families will show up pissed drunk to a family reunion, we'll curse out people, well, you know, we'll start, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start fights at the dog park, you know, we'll do all sorts of like really wild shit. Um, and unfortunately, that's a pretty normal response. So, and again, normal doesn't mean that it tickles, just means that, yeah, we see this a lot. And so we devote a couple chapters in the book to how to talk to our family members about PTSD and recovery, how to talk to those people that matter, so how to talk to parents, kids. We have to talk to our kids about our experience and what we're going through um, and how to recover from that. And we, then we have another chapter about how to talk to people who don't matter but have to matter. So I'm talking about like um, your boss. Your supervisors who may not give, you know, they might not give a shit that you breathe, but, you know, they have to on paper because that's the law. Yeah. And, um, you know, how do how do we get that buy in um, for for our recovery? Because unless we're independently wealthy, most of us after we go for treatment, whether it's to drug or alcohol rehab or PTSD or depression, we have to go back to work. Bummer. But, you know, that's a thing. So how do you know, a lot of us choose to go to treatment or go to rehab, and then we come back to to our work environment, and we're like, oh, well, it's none of their business, and we're just not going to talk about it. I'm just not going to discuss. I'm going to pretend that didn't happen. And so that shit doesn't work, um, because you can be spouting all sorts of brilliance, but no one is, everyone's going to be thinking, wow, are we really not going to talk about how Sean had a panic attack in the bathroom? Are we really not going to talk about how Sean went to rehab for four weeks and I had to take on, you know, all of his work with no extra pay? Are we, are we just like, not, you can be spouting all sorts of brilliance, but if you don't address it head on, if we don't control the narrative, the narrative will control us. And so thank, thankfully, there's a lot of good psychology to help with that. There is no need to reinvent the wheel. And so we talk a lot about how do we talk to people who do matter? How do we talk to people who don't really matter? Maybe coworkers, maybe shitty neighbors, whatnot. How do we control the narrative so the narrative doesn't control us? And therefore really supporting our long-term recovery. Um, So recovery, we think about, you know, relapse. We're always thinking about drugs and alcohol, like, oh, so-and-so fell off the wagon. Let's get real for a minute. We can relapse with any mental health condition or physical condition. It's just a fancy word that means going to an earlier point in time. So we can relapse with anxiety, depression, PTSD. We can relapse with that. We've seen a tremendous amount of relapse, or at least I have recently um, with the US Afghanistan withdrawal. That 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 was like a football bat. That was all fucked up. And so it's triggering a lot of that's triggering a lot of folks who've been in treatment before 
brings us back mentally to a point of what was that all for? What was that yeah. worth? And we start to question ourselves. And, and the good news is, uh, well, not really good. There's really no good news with relapse, but we can recover from it. And it's not, it doesn't mean that you're back at square one. What it does mean is that we need to go ahead and right size all of the feelings that we're having right now. We need to look at that again. We need to maybe refresh our coping skills. Relapse happens, but it doesn't mean that we're back at square one. It doesn't mean that we have to restart therapy, but it does mean that we have to deal with it in the here and now. Now we can choose not to, but you know, spoiler alert, that shit doesn't end well. So we can, we can kick that down the line, but it doesn't end well. Um, so I've been seeing a lot of folks uh, since August who I saw maybe 10, you know, 15, almost years ago. <laughs> and we're doing just a one second, one session check-in, 60 minutes. We're talking about it. We're normalizing symptoms, meaning, um, hey, this is what you're experiencing. And this is what other service members are experiencing also. This is what other veterans are experiencing also. You're not alone and unafraid. You don't have to be out there on your own. This is something that is happening kind of in a meta sense to a lot of us. And here's how we can, we can view that. Here's, you know, it might be talking with your battle buddies. It might be uh, <clears throat> talking, talking with, with folks, checking in with them and saying, hey, legit, how are you doing? How are yeah. you doing with yeah. all this? You know, that that image of people running to catch a C-130 is burned in my mind and a lot of other minds also. This is an experience that a lot of us are having right now. And um, we, we can come together, we can talk about this. And for a lot of us, you know, this experience is maybe that one event that is kicking us over the edge and saying, oh shit, I need to get help for the first time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You need to get out for the first time. <laughs> You're fucking right. You do. Yeah. Because you got nothing to lose. No, you haven't. Nothing to lose and everything to gain. Legit. Definitely. Well, unfortunately. I'm wondering. Yeah. I'm wondering if there's anything we left on the table. If there's something that you're wondering about because if you're wondering about it your listeners are probably wondering about it too because you're pretty tied in with them at the moment not really but i'll probably go into the house and go ah should have asked that um but unfortunately i do actually have to cut it off because i have to go and do my trips in the vehicle with the kids and the missus but I'm definitely going to rebook you on because there's some few topics that we definitely need to bring up, especially the one with the, with the trigger warning. Um, but wow, I loved every second of that. And I think I could have probably been full Joe Rogan on this one and gone like three hours. But <laughs> unfortunately, I haven't got three hours today. <laughs> no, no, you got Halloween costumes to buy, brother. Yeah, yeah. Or design. Well, listen, if, if, you're, if your listeners have any questions, reach out to me on social media. I don't have a life. I, I respond to almost everything. <laughs> um, you know, talking about PTSD is my thing. Yeah. And I'm super passionate about it um, because I know that I know 
that I know that we can unfuck this. If I can recover from PTSD, fucking anybody can. Jesus. And we have the tools. We can absolutely do this. Reach out to me on social media. Um, You know, download your free preview copy at thesoldiersguide.com. Download your workbook at thesoldiersblog.com. See, we got a little, we got a theme there. Um, Yeah, check us out. We're on the Instagram and the TikTok and, (laughs) oh God, the Facebook page. (laughs) I'm a lot older than you. Um, so this is going to have to be a no judgment podcast. Um, I, you know, so it is what it is, but, um, yeah, if you got questions, your, your listeners have questions, reach out to me. I don't have a life. It would delight me to no end to answer your questions, to respond to your strongly worded hate mail. No, no. Keep that shit to yourself. <laughs> yeah. Keep that shit to yourself. I, yeah. But, um, listen, I'm here. I'm here. I'm an, and I'm around. I'm sure everybody that heard that will appreciate that and will probably contact you at some point. Um, but yeah, as, as always, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks brother. It's been, it's been a joy to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for what you're doing for service members and for veterans, because what you're doing is important. And, you know, in, in the eternal words of the Dalai Lama, haters going to hate, hate, hate. (laughs) that's brilliant that's brilliant well i'll catch you again soon all right brother take care (laughs) see you later